Morning, church. Today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. Jesus calls the first disciples. The next day again, John was standing with his two disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Good morning. It is awesome to be able to worship together today, to celebrate together, and um, there are uh, a lot of hands, as you guys can see, that we have a different setup today, and um, and just want to acknowledge that, those that are serving in the worship team, the media team, and sound team, and also for Kevin and Lisa being here, we praise the Lord that Lisa's surgery went well this week. Um, and, um, and so we'll continue to keep praying for her and for her recovery there as well. And so um, that's a blessing. But as you can tell this morning, what we're talking about really this morning is about seeing. And we're going to keep the kids in with us today. Uh, you'll notice on your notes, there's notes at the back of the bulletin. But there's also an activity sheet for children. I want to encourage you to you can kind of follow along, listen along, but also stay in that activity sheet if you want to, something to be able to do. There are crowns in the lobby if you want to color that page. Adults may want to do that too, I don't know. Um, I'm amazed at how many adult coloring books there are now, uh, uh, coloring books for adults, I should say. Um, and so 
making sure that uh, it is an interesting thing, but if you want to color through the message, feel free to do that. As we kind of celebrate this Christmas Eve, it marks the fourth Sunday of Advent, and Advent, which literally means coming, is a celebration of Christ coming into the world, born as a baby in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago, and the promise that he's coming again to redeem his creation by establishing his kingdom on earth. So Advent both reminds us of the birth and the work that Jesus has already done, but it also reminds us of what is to come. And the song, O Come All You Unfaithful, which we just sang before the scripture reading, is at the heart of our Advent series. And whether you're seeking the truth, skeptical about Christ and his word, entrapped in sin, indifferent regarding your faith, or actively pursuing Jesus, Christ is calling you to come, for he is born for you. This one whose birth we celebrate was born for our salvation. And salvation is not found in the works and good deeds of man, the enlightenment of the mind, or in the mystical manifestation of the universe's power. And while we may look for it in the things of this world, John 1, verse 35 through 51, which Robin just read, makes it clear that salvation is found by coming to Jesus, the promised Messiah. Salvation is found by coming to Jesus, the promised Messiah, the one born for you. And so this morning, as we look at John 1, we're going to be dealing with this idea that salvation is Jesus, the Messiah. That is salvation. Salvation is found in the person and work of Jesus. Now, we've talked throughout this Advent series of the fact that Jesus was born for our rest. He was born for our courage. He was born for our abundance. And wrapped up into all of that is the truth that Jesus was born for our salvation. The ministry of John the Baptist was to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. His call was for people to repent of their sin and see their need for a Savior. And while some had grown tired of waiting and rejected God, others responded to John's call and eagerly anticipated the coming Messiah. Where are you? Are you eagerly anticipating Jesus' return? Have you grown tired of waiting for the return? And have you find yourself turning your back on God, wondering if God is actually real or not? Where are you? Well, in verse 29 tells us that when John, that is John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John's acknowledgement, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, this brings us to our passage this morning. On the following day, following Jesus' baptism, verse 35 through 36 says, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. So John proclaims again Jesus as the Lamb of God. Now, that may seem odd. Why? Why Lamb of God? Well, the Lamb of God was a reference to the promised Messiah. Now, 
so that we understand what happens here is that God requires in his word the sacrifice of a lamb, the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. See, at the point when sinner enters the world, we separate ourselves from God. We no longer have relationship with him. We're no longer able to commune with him. And God instituted an ordinance of taking a lamb and sacrificing and bloodshed. Why? Because the rightful penalty for sin is death. The shedding of blood. That is the rightful punishment of sin in the face of a holy and righteous and just God. But in his love, he provides a lamb that has a one-time sacrifice. And that lamb is Jesus, that his blood was shed once and for all. Man might have security, freedom in the salvation that God provides through faith. They knew what this Lamb of God terminology meant. They understood the the Jewish tradition of having to bring the Lamb to the temple, being offered as a guilt offering. They knew what it meant. And that there was one who would come and restore them and put away sin. And so when John the Baptist, who has been calling them to repentance, says, Behold the Lamb of God, the two disciples that are standing with him, the two followers of John, take note. Now Isaiah 53, 6-10, and verses 10-11 through 11 says this, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned, everyone, to his own way. There's not one of us who hasn't. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Jesus being foretold of as the Lamb of God, God's promise in Isaiah that there would be one to come that would be sacrificed as a lamb once and for all to make those, his people, righteous. To grant them his righteousness. He would bear the weight of our iniquity and we would receive His righteousness. This is what they're looking for. The lamb that's promised in Isaiah. That was prophesied. Hundreds of years before. When waiting on Jesus and these two disciples look after hearing John say, Behold the lamb of God. And we're told there in verse 37 that the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. They wanted to know if he really is the Savior, the promised Messiah. They didn't stand back and just say, ah, he could be, and let it go by. 
John the Baptist declares it, proclaims it, and what do they do? They seek. Because they've been seeking the Messiah. Well, what follows then is Jesus giving us a picture. And in verse 38, he asks the question to them as they're following him What are you seeking? What are you seeking? That's an interesting question, right? John the Baptist has just said, Behold the Lamb of God. These two men start following. One of them, Andrew, most likely the other, the author John, who is writing here. And they begin to follow. What are you seeking? Now, Jesus is asking them a question. He wants to understand why they're coming after him. But it's a question that we all have to ask. What are you seeking? What are you seeking in this life? What are you seeking that you think will give you hope? Are you seeking genuine salvation or is this just a a temporary thing, something to just appease the moment? Is Jesus a fad? Is your faith a fad? The question that's being asked is, what are you seeking? Well, what's unique here is it says that they wanted to see where he was staying. They wanted to actually know him. They wanted to be present with him to see if he was who he said he is. And what follows here then is Jesus then lays out this plan of salvation. In verse 39, Jesus responds to them with a simple statement, come and you will see. Now notice that language, come and you will see. He doesn't say come and you might see. He doesn't say come and figure it out. He says come and you will see. Now at the end of the scripture, we'll see what they get to see. We'll see God's promise here to them through Jesus. But let's take a look here at this plan of salvation that's laid out in this text that shows us clearly that Jesus was born for our salvation. The first part of this plan of salvation is that it calls seekers and skeptics alike to come to Jesus to find the Savior. It calls seekers and skeptics alike to come to Jesus to find the Savior. In verse 38, we're told Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. Now verse 41, Andrew here says, first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. We found the Messiah. In verse 45, Philip says, To Nathanael, we have found him whom Moses is the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So the seekers that we see here are the two disciples and Philip. Both have found the Messiah and the one prophesied about by Moses in the law and told by the prophets, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So don't run those two things together. He wasn't saying, we found Jesus, the son of Nazareth, because that was exactly what it had said. What he's saying is, we found the one that's prophesied about in Scripture, and it is Jesus Nazareth, the son of Joseph. 
That is the Messiah. Now, in Matthew 2, verse 19 through 25, it says this about Jesus' birth. Following his birth, it says, But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life were dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he'd heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. This Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth, was the Messiah. And his call is that as seekers, we come to him. If you are looking for salvation, he's calling you to him. If you have experienced salvation, God is still calling us to be seekers. We are to be people who seek him constantly. And we seek him by coming to him. We don't seek him by looking at other things. But we seek him by coming to him. By coming to his word. Coming to him in prayer. Submitting ourselves to him. That's how we come to him. And if you're wondering if Jesus is true, you don't go and try to figure out how a car works by go reading a cookbook, right? You find out about Jesus by coming to him and to his word. And so if you're seeking his salvation, his promise to you is, if you come to him, you will see. That's what he's saying. Come and you will see. So those two disciples of John the Baptist come and they've found the Messiah. They're so sure of it that Andrew goes and tells his brother and brings him into the presence of Jesus. Philip, after being told, follow me, goes immediately to Nathanael and finds Nathanael and tells him, we have found the one promised We have found the one that Moses and the law has spoken about, that the scriptures speak about. That's what he's saying, that the prophets spoke of. We have found him. Now the skeptic here is Nathaniel. Nathaniel says here, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now the two other times I've touched this passage has gotten me in a lot of trouble because I try to compare it to a city locally. And so I refuse to do that today. (laughs) On chance that somebody lives there, which has been the case each and every time. (laughs) But if you can think of a city that you would opt not rather live, Nazareth would be it. And if you can think of a city that has very little character to it, maybe that's a good way to put it, culture to it, that would be Nazareth, okay? And so, Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He hears what Philip has to say, but he doesn't believe it. He doesn't believe it. He's skeptical 
of what is being said. If you're here this morning and you're skeptical of this message about Jesus, I want to encourage you to encourage you the same words that Jesus gave to those two disciples and the words that Philip gives to Nathaniel. Come and see. Come and see. Psalm 34, 8 through 11 says this. It says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. The goodness of God. What he's saying is come to him. We need to each come to him. And we need to continue to come to him. Those who have yet to place their faith in Christ, those who are skeptical or are seeking the truth and have yet to find, what he is saying is come to him. Come to his word. Give your life to him and let him open your eyes. For those who have put their faith in Jesus, he's still saying, come to me. Come to me and see. Seth, come up here for me real quick. KK, come on up real quick. All right, I need you to do something for me. Sorry, Michelle and Scott. Um, all right, neither of you two are allergic to chocolate, right? Do you guys know what these are? Yeah. Okay. What, what, Seth, tell me what they are. Uh, Reese's. Reese's, okay, all right. Do you like Reese's? No. You don't? <laughs> All right, KK, do you like Reese's? You don't? Wow. Toby, come on up. <laughs> All right, I'm going to let Toby talk. Um, All right. It's hers too. That's right. That's right. All right. Now, Toby, I'm going to let you take that there. Um, you can give these away as gifts if you'd like. Yeah. All right, Toby, can you open that for me real quick? Oh! Nice talk. All right, now, how do you know? Okay, well done, well done. All right, so how do you know that that's a Reese's? Okay. If I were to bite it, it would taste like one. Okay, go ahead and take a bite. Tell me what. Okay, okay. Describe it to me for a minute. Um, there's chocolate in there and peanut butter. Okay. It's kind of fluffy okay. and creamy simultaneously. Okay. Take, take, an, take another bite for me. Okay. Does it taste the same? Yeah. Tastes the same. Yeah. Um, now, go ahead and take another bite for me. Okay. Still tastes the same? Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you go and you buy a Reese's, do you expect that to be the same every time? Mm -hmm. Yeah. See, when God says that we're to taste and see that he's good, he expects us to get to know him. 
And in so doing, as we know him, we can begin to trust him. And we see that he is unchanging. And we begin to value and enjoy the flavor. And rather than going less to it, we want to go more to it. And so regardless of what KK and Seth have to say about this, (laughs) which completely blows my illustration out of the water, listen to Toby. When you eat something good, you want more of it. And the truth is, truth is, is that whatever KK likes and whatever Seth likes, they're going to want more of it because they expect it to be the same. And when you go to it, you trust that it is what it is. When we come to Jesus and taste that he is good and we keep coming, we begin to get more of his goodness. We begin to see who he really is and we continue to taste more of it. And what we know is that every time we go to it, that Christ's grace is like that chocolate goodness. Christ's grace is like that peanut butter. Every time I go to it, I know that it's there. It's what it's supposed to be because he's shown himself to be it over and over and over again, and he is unchanging. His promise to you is come to him, and you will see. He's calling seekers and skeptics alike to come to him in faith. We will never taste of his goodness if we're trying to find out who he is by going someplace else. If you want to know Jesus, you need to run to him. You need to run to his word. You need to run to where his word is proclaimed, the body of Christ, his church. And you need to run to him in prayer with humility, seeking and asking, trusting that you will see because that is his promise. Let him show that to you. Thank you, guys. You see, the point is, is that God wants us to go to him and he wants us to continue to keep coming to him and tasting of his goodness. And so salvation begins with his call to us to come and see. The second aspect of God's plan of salvation is that it's revealed in Jesus. It's revealed in Jesus. Notice verse 47 and 49 says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there's no deceit or no guile. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God and the King of Israel. So what happens? Philip tells Nathanael, Come and see. Nathanael comes towards Jesus. Jesus then says to him, Boy, an Israelite, without deceit, an Israelite without guile. What does that mean? It means a true believer, one who actually wants to know the Messiah. That's what he's actually speaking of. And he says, I saw you under the fig tree. Now, I think that's actually literal. But the truth is, is that at the same time, rabbis use that as a figure of speech. We talk about sitting under the fig tree as a allegorical or as an illustration of somebody who is in meditation. The idea here 
is that Nathaniel was someplace meditating on the things of God, thinking about the things of God, most likely under a fig tree. And God said, I saw you there. I saw you seeking me. You didn't go unnoticed. I saw you. I saw your heart. That you weren't trying to figure this out just on your own understanding and your own reason, but you were trying to figure it out in me, in my way. You came to me to seek the truth. That's what he's saying. And Jesus then, as he says this, the response from Nathaniel is one where he says, what? How do you know me? And he says, I saw you. If you're seeking the Lord, genuinely seeking the Lord, if you genuinely want to know who Jesus is, God sees you seeking as a follower of Christ, when you go before the Lord and things, you're putting things before the Lord and you may not feel like he hears you in that moment, he sees you. He hears you. That's the Savior that we have. And so Nathaniel answers him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Think about this for a minute. Nathaniel's been meditating on the things of God, waiting for a savior. He's skeptical about this Jesus guy. This Jesus guy could be anybody. But he comes to Jesus. And Jesus encounters him right there and makes himself known. Something so private that we don't probably even know spoke to the heart of Nathaniel in that moment. You saw me where? Before Philip ever came to me? You knew me? You saw me? Truly, you are the Son of God. Because there's only one who can see all things. There's only one who knows all things. And that is God Himself. And so when He calls Him the Son of God, He speaks of Jesus' nature, that He is fully God. Fully God, fully man. Not 50% God, 50% man. In the same way that we are 100% man and 100% soul, Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. He is God in flesh. He's God in flesh. When he calls him the Son of God, he is saying, you are God in flesh. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. And he's all present. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4 affirms that long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Here's the kicker. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name has inherited is more excellent than theirs. 
Jesus is God. God in flesh. No longer do we look to the law, but we look to Christ. God still calls us to to carry out and to, to live out His law or to live out His righteousness, but that righteousness now is in Christ. Christ has fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the requirement. And as the Son of God, He came. And all we need to do is to look to Jesus. It's in His power that we live, and it's the example by which we follow. It is that we walk with Christ as the Son of God. Speaking of Jesus' birth, Matthew 1, verse 21 through 25 says, She will bear a son, and you should call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. R.C. Sproul adds this, What we celebrate at Christmas is not so much the birth of a baby, but the incarnation of God himself. That's what we're celebrating today, is God in flesh. He came down and he met his people. And through his life, we can have life in him. John three sixteen through 18 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. He is the Son of God. His salvation is revealed in Jesus. It's not revealed in works. It's revealed in Jesus. The second aspect of that, so first part is that God is, excuse me, that he is the Son of God, God in flesh, ultimately pointing to the fact that he is our Savior. The other part of that then is that he's the King of Israel. He's the Lord of all. This is the aspect of him being Savior and Lord of our life. When we confess Jesus as our Savior or put our faith in Christ, we are putting our faith in Christ not only as Savior, but as Lord. They go together. I think too often we try to separate these things. And we hear this today a lot in, in Christian circles as a debate of lordship salvation, meaning you have to believe or confess Jesus as Lord of your life, or just do you have to just believe in Jesus? It's gotten really mixed up. And Romans 10 makes it clear that we are to confess Jesus as Lord. Belief always was tied together with lordship. It was this idea that what we believed is that Jesus is our Savior and is Lord, that it requires he's both, because he is both the Savior and the anointed one, the King. That's what we're confessing, is that Jesus is Savior and Lord of our life. He's the ruler of our life, Lord of all. Revelation 5, 9 through 14 here says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on earth. 
Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. It is a picture of Jesus on his throne. He is Lord of all and Lord over all. He is the King of Israel, the promised anointed one who will come and reign. That is Jesus. The third aspect then of God's plan of salvation, the first that he calls seekers and skeptics alike to come to him. The second is that it's revealed in Christ. And the third is that it opens his kingdom and the son's glory to all who believe. It opens his kingdom and the son's glory to all who believe. Verse 50 through 51 says, Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is actually the fulfillment of Jacob's vision in Genesis 28, 12, which says, and he dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. When Jesus says this here to Nathaniel, what he is saying is, I am the ladder. I am the one who bridges between heaven and earth, the kingdom of God and man. I am the bridge. I am the ladder, and I've opened heaven to you through Jesus. I've made heaven accessible to you. And when you come to me, you will experience his kingdom for eternity. Presently, here, even in this fallenness of this world, we experience the blessing of his kingdom, but eternally, the glory of his kingdom. And so he opens his kingdom as a part of his salvation. Do we ever think of that? We think about terms like eternal life. We talk about that. Eternal life, because Jesus talks about that. But do we realize that eternal life is actually in his kingdom? what his kingdom is. See, the Son of Man is our mediator. He refers to him here as the Son of Man. And the Son of Man refers back to Daniel 7, verse 13 and 14, where it said, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him, his dominion in an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that shall not be a passed away. So here it is. The Son of Man, that is Jesus, is our mediator. He's gone. His life has been ransomed for us. He's paid our penalty. The penalty of sin that is separating us from God. His blood is shed for us, having taken on the weight of all mankind... And then on the third day, he raises again, defeating the power of death. That is the Savior that we serve in Jesus. That is the Savior that you can have in Christ. 
And when you come to him in faith, when you repent and believe on him for your salvation, he grants you his kingdom, an eternal kingdom. And he opens the door to the kingdom where not only do you experience the power of his kingdom, his dominion and his authority, but you experience the dominion and authority of his son's glory. Meaning that no longer, even in this life, do we live under the powerlessness of sin. That Christ now works within us to give us power over sin. And so slowly but surely, while yes, there's still sin in our life, God begins to work that sin out. And no longer are we just passive victims to the sin that is at work and tacitly working within us. But the power of Christ begins to transform and renew us. And we are no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. That's the beauty. And the kingdom of God is open to us. And the kingdom of God is the place that we will reign forever when Christ returns. And the kingdom of God is accessible through Christ today, both presently and then in the future, permanently, as we stand with him Alistair Begg points out, one day we will be free not only from the power of sin and from the penalty of sin, but from the very presence of sin. What an awesome thing, is it not? Second Timothy says this, it says, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time for this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. The truth is we experience salvation by faith in Jesus. And so today, if you are seeking the truth, if you are skeptical about Jesus, I want to encourage you to come to him to see his truth. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Continue to keep coming to see more of him. Let him continually reveal himself to you over and over and over again. Because his promise is you will see him. Jesus has been revealed as the Messiah. The Son of God and the King of Israel. God in flesh, Lord of all. And he has opened his kingdom and the glory of his son, all the glory of his grace has been opened to you. Not just in partial measure, but what God has given, he continues to give to you in his grace to walk out righteously, to live out his presence in this life, and to live a life that brings glory to him. The peace, the joy, the gentleness, the kindness, the self-control, all a result of the glory of the Son, the beauty of Jesus. Alistair Begg goes on and he adds one other thing. He says, faith is not a soft option offered to people who need a crutch to get through the rest of their lives. Faith is the supernatural activity of God whereby he opens blind eyes, unstops deaf ears, and a man or a woman says, I see it now. I'm gonna trust God. I'm gonna trust in Jesus. As an aside to this, this morning, notice in this passage 
that the one who comes to Jesus who has seen no longer lives hoping that others might see Jesus, but they intentionally bring others into his presence. John the Baptist proclaimed the truth. Andrew took his brother into the presence of Jesus himself. And Philip went to Nathanael and said, I found the Messiah, come and see. As followers of Christ, we too need to be inviting people into the presence of Jesus. That means we need to be inviting them into our lives if Christ is in us. We need to, as opportunities allow, begin to proclaim the truth of who Jesus is to others. We need to allow them to experience the love of Jesus as we love them well. And so this morning, as we wrap up this kind of time of of Advent season for us, there's two things that we're going to do after the service. The worship team is going to come up in just a few minutes, and we're going to close in a song. But before we close in that song, I want to share with you something that we have for you guys, and we want to encourage you with this morning. At the end of the service, Elise will be on one side, Dan will be on the others, and it's the same on each side. In it, there's, there's two things. One is an ornament. That ornament just simply says, Christ is born for you. And we would just ask that every adult, anybody 18 and older, or a couple that's 18 and older, would take one of those, okay? You can keep that, keep that with you, keep that with you in your family, or you can give it away, however you want to do that. The second thing, though, is a gift card. It's a $25 gift card to Target, and here's what we're asking you to do with that. If you can use it and you need it, use it. Take it and use it. But if you don't need it, we want you to give this to a person that doesn't know Christ that you can express the love of Jesus to. Simply by saying, hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you today. And God laid you on my heart, and I'd love to bless you with this. Or you see a need that arises and you simply walk to them and you do that. But I want to encourage you to be intentional about it. We've been asking you to pray for one person in your sphere of relationship that doesn't know Christ. Maybe it's an opportunity to just go to them and say, I've been praying for you, I've been thinking about this, and this is just a little gift to you to let you know. There may be somebody coming to mind. You may see somebody in your sphere of relationship who has a need that doesn't know Jesus and you want to give that to them. But we want to offer that as a gift this morning for us as the body of Christ to go out. And we want to really sincerely encourage you that if you need this, if you're at a time of financial hardship in your life, we hope this is a blessing to you and we want you to keep this. If you're not at that place in your life right now, we don't want you to keep this and we want you to give that to somebody who needs it. Does that make sense? Because the reality is, is we want to be the people that are expressing and proclaiming Jesus to a world that is in desperate need of a Savior. And our call for them is that they might come and see. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that we can come to you. Thank you for this message that, God, that you call us to you, that you call seeker and skeptic alike to come to you. Thank you that you have revealed salvation in Jesus, not in our own works or in our own self or in some nebulous thing, but you have showed us exactly where to find it and it is found in Jesus. So it may be this morning that this Christmas season, 
that this Advent season, that we rejoice knowing that you were born for us, and wherever we're at right now, that we can come to you with humble hearts, and your promise is we will see. Open our eyes today, and may we respond to you constantly and continuously in faith. And we ask this in your name. Amen.